0: How did Gymshark win 2020? Consumer research. They worked with a test to learn more about their audience's changing habits, then pivoted their business to meet those needs. Visit askatest.com and use fast, accurate consumer research to get ahead. It's growth without guesswork. There's never been a better time to be a direct to consumer business. Join us as we uncover the strategies and scaling secrets of the world's most disruptive brands and agencies. This is DTC Podcast. Hello, and welcome to the DTC Podcast. I'm Eric Dick, along with Kyle Gilfoyle. And today, we are incredibly lucky to have a very special episode with Head of Resilient Retail at Shopify, Kristen LaFrance. Uh, today we're going to be talking about how to build communities in your D- with your D2C brands uh, and how to create incredibly engaging one-to-one retail-like experiences on the D2C side of the business. Welcome to the podcast, Kristen. How are you doing?
1: I am doing great. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to talk about this stuff. Yeah, very cool. So right off the
0: top, everyone talks about community, uh, you know, in this D2C brand building environment, but why do so many brands miss the mark?
1: I think the biggest thing is something that I say all the time, which is this idea of customers are greater than metrics and relationships are greater than sales, which, from a D2C perspective, thinking, oh, why would I want relationships without sales immediately doesn't make sense. But one always follows the others, one always follows the other. There we go really, if you're making a relationship, the sale becomes a lot easier. So what I see a lot of people doing wrong in communities is they're thinking about, how do I get my products integrated into this community? How do I get sales out of my community? They're thinking about the products, not the value just that they're bringing to the community. So when you're building a community, it's not necessarily a community about, you know, say I sell leggings not creating a community about people who love leggings. It's not something that I'm super passionate about that anybody's like, "Oh my goodness, I love leggings so much, I need to join a legging Facebook group." It's about whatever that product is bringing at the end of the day. So for leggings, maybe it's, you know, people who love yoga or love a certain kind of exercise, and you build a community around that bigger picture, around the bigger story that your product's feed into. But what we see a lot of brands trying to do is focus too much in on those products, trying to sell their products constantly to the community, trying to leverage the community for, you know, things that aren't necessarily helping them. At the end of the day, it all comes down to, are you providing value? Are you providing something that's bigger than just your products that keeps them coming back to your brand, which then will turn into sales eventually?
0: I love it. So so you in in this case you have to sort of you know in in the idea of leggings you have to think a step above leggings and think of like what are the activities that the leggings uh inspire or you know this is this jobs to be done theory we reference yes. on the podcast all the time right? So with leggings it could be a fitness thing it could be a a fashion thing uh you know a, a looking good thing cuz leggings often look good
1: mm-hmm. um
0: etc. Yeah and
1: that's that's really what it is it's that uh you're not ever really selling just a product. You know, sometimes you are, sometimes I'm buying a coffee because I need coffee or I'm buying a face wash because I've run out of my face wash. But there also is a deeper meaning for a lot of the things we buy. I actually did this exercise uh, a long time ago with I was trying to figure out why I had spent so much money at a brand like Outdoor Voices, where I was like, okay, I keep buying this stuff Kind of on impulse, but like, how did they do that to me? How did they get me as a marketer who can see every little marketing move that a company is making, get me to spend $300 in six months when I did not plan to? And a lot of it is because they tapped into something that was way deeper for me than just buying the clothes. It was about, you know, I used to be a a high, oh my goodness, I've totally just lost my words. I used to be, uh, you know, an elite athlete. I was a gymnast through college. And so for me, Exercise was very deeply connected to like perfection and performance. And then I got out of the sport and it was all of a sudden like, oh my, what do I do? How do I work out without having some coach yelling at me telling me exactly how it should be and running myself to death. And then Outdoor Voices has this idea of, you know exercise is just movement and it's doing things. Like you do something and you're good enough. And I realized that to me was what they had built their community on and that was what was selling me on their products was, oh, like I'm buying this to give me a relief from the pressure I'm putting on myself to just doing something and moving my body is enough. That's like the key to the community right there is understanding what is the job your product is getting your customer to, and there might be multiple of them, but there's some common thread in there of what is deeper than the product. That's where where true community building comes out of.
2: I'm really curious. Um... You know, I think we all have a, a concept of like community, um, and you know what it is. I'm really curious if you could break it down into building blocks for us. Like, like how, like what are those essential elements distilled that a DTC brand needs to get together before they can start actually assembling it and building that community?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's a good question, and it's. It's one of those, like, it depends on the brand. It depends on the customers. What platform you're going to build on depends on where those customers are, what their interests are. Um, But I think that, you know, the building blocks first are knowing your customers, better yet, knowing your best fitting customers, which are the customers that are interacting with you, that are commenting on your Instagram, that are buying multiple things. First, looking at those, those are the customers that are ultimately going to build your community because they're already showing that you're touching something deeper with them because they're... Actively engaging. So the first building block is knowing who those people are. The second building block is then truly knowing who those people are. So you identify them and then you need to get on the phone with them. You need to understand what their day-to-day looks like. What problems outside of the product that you're serving are they facing in their daily life? What does value mean to those people? You hear me saying, stop thinking about product, think about providing value. But that's just kind of this uh, um, uh like Weird term that means nothing unless you know who you're giving value to. So, for example, I run a Slack community called D2C Fam, and the value that they need from me is different than the value, say, a writing community would need from me. Writing community wants, you know, connection and mentorship and maybe inspiration and writing prompts and people to complain about, ah, I hate writing and I can't think about this. Whereas the D2C Fam, you know, they want they do want resources, they want content, they want a place to share their wins, but also they really want connection with each other. So a large focus for me is knowing who's in my group, knowing what their focus is so I can say, hey, this person posted a question asking, I need help with these email flows. I know the five people to tag because that's what value is to those people. So building blocks, you know, know the best fit customers, then really know the best fit customers, know what brings them value, then find out where they spend time online where can you build that community from a platform perspective you don't want to try to force a behavior that's not there um you know gamers are on twitch all the time if your product really serves that community you might be able to build on twitch but a community of yogis eh, twitch might not be the right platform for you and again that comes down to those building blocks and then i think on top of that is once you know all those things and you know the platform Content is ultimately the biggest driver of a community. And and content, a lot of times when someone says content, you think written post, SEO, um, blog articles, webinars, these kinds of things. But content is every interaction ever. It's every post you put in there. It's every comment you send back. It's really just the the conversations that you're having. But understanding, okay, what are the, the topics that I should bring up? What kind of content can I serve them? Is it, you know, a quick clubhouse chat every Wednesday because people just want to talk freely? Is it a webinar from an expert every Friday because that's actually what they want? Is it no content at all, just questions posed in a group? It's, it's really hard to give kind of these building blocks of a community because it depends so much on who that group is and who those first hundred best community members are. But those are the essential building blocks of, of getting it right. Knowing your customers, truly knowing them, knowing what their jobs to be done is, knowing what brings them value, knowing where they hang out, how they engage, and what kind of content they want. Those are going to be the first steps that you're going to come up with a strategy that is likely to at least find some success in the first couple of months.
0: Love it. That's, that's uh, I think, a ton of value there. And I think, uh, you know, your your ins- your personal insight into what was the brand uh, that you, you spent some money on?
1: Uh, Outdoor Voices.
0: Outdoor Still Voices. Still spending
1: so much money there. That
0: right there, like if if that's not a reason enough for every listener of this podcast to call their 100 best customers on the phone and to be able to like unearth that kind of like personal story, like the way that that could then filter into their marketing, you know, or just reinforce their, their vision as well. Like just, just such, such valuable stuff there.
1: Yeah. Um, We talk about it all the time. A lot of marketers often say we're just really good copy and pasters is a lot of times if you get on the phone with a customer, one, people like to go through the process. Like some some brands are scared to call their customers. There's a lot of consumers that love to go through the psychological process of like, hey yeah, why did I buy that? And like what was I actually searching for? And think that if Outdoor Voices were to talk to me and they hear that one line of or, or you know, that that idea that I'm so connected to it because I used to be an athlete and I've gone through this kind of transition. Now that gives them an opportunity to say Whoa, let's segment our email list and find all the post athletes and let's make a newsletter just for them. Or why don't we partner with some college athletic programs and give them special discounts or give them resources after graduation or go into Facebook groups for athletes who are dealing with this and go talk to them it just opens up a world of things that you can do. But yeah, I mean, I will say it again and again, like get on the phone with your customers. You will get so much gold out of like two conversations. It'll just boggle your brain.
0: Amazing. All right. So sorry, you go ahead, KG, because I know you've been working on this exact initiative on the D C plus side. You've been just get scheduling calls with, with potential marketers all the time.
2: Yeah. And actually one thing, um, one thing i've started doing this is kind of a hack but um is is uh transcribing those calls and yeah and you can actually you can put it through um a tool that'll like that'll um pinpoint the 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 terms that those that those people use the most often which is just like that like like i'm kind of a copywriter at heart and so for a copywriter that's just like gold if you can you know um transcribe all your conversations and yeah so um but uh, yeah, so I'm I'm a little curious. You you kind of touched on platforms, and this is this is something we're 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 challenged by. Um, you know, just us specifically. We're kind of we're building a community. Do we do it in Facebook groups? Do we do it on Slack, uh, Clubhouse? Like, there are just so many options. What's um, what's what, uh, what advice do you have in, in terms of the platforms? Does it does does it matter?
1: I don't think it necessarily matters. On a large scale, it matters to the community members. So, again, I'm just going to come back to that idea of where are those customers already engaging? You know, if you're marketing to kind of the baby boomer um, generation. I don't think that Clubhouse is going to probably be your best option. Maybe then Facebook is your best option because it's easy for them. You want to really make your community have like an easy entry point. So whatever is already natural to those people, you want to kind of give them access there. So uh, Bloom, as an example, is a brand that I use all the time with their community building. They are very, very millennial focused on their marketing. And so, a lot of their community building is actually on Instagram and SMS instead of a place like Facebook, because you know Gen Z is not really on Facebook. We don't like they're like that. Screw Facebook. We're we're done with that. So I don't think that the platform is necessarily as important as the content and as the ease of entry into that community. And also, this is an emerging trend. We're watching this right now. We're seeing brands test out community on clubhouse we're seeing brands test out podcasting as a way to bring community we're seeing brands do crazy things with loyalty programs um retail is a huge community builder when we can all gather into places together again uh, so really it's it's such a and i and i know that the listeners are some of them are going to be like oh my god she keeps saying it depends it depends like give us an answer but it really does depend and probably the best hack you can do is just ask your customers. If you wanna start a community, send out an email and say, hey, if we were to build a place where you could do X, Y, and Z, where would you want it? And, and put it on it. And then that's our we'll-
0: problem. <laughs> They've told us, we just haven't listened yet. Yeah, yeah, we're, yeah, we're that's the hard it, part. We're just, yeah. This, the difference between Slack and Facebook is an interesting one, just because, you know, as, as you know, there's this idea of it always being on with Slack it, it mm-hmm. being this real time thing, which is what people really want. But at the same time, there's this tug on the organization to be like, okay, do we want another, you know, another messaging channel? Like we were spending, we're sending 5,000 messages a day as a company right now. Yeah. Um. But I think it's, so I, to, to refine the question further, then is there, are there any, so have you heard of mighty networks? Have you heard I have of like, not. yeah, mighty networks is another one I hear, I hear coming up a little bit, which is this sort of a hybrid. Hybrid, you know, community sort of hangout uh software that, that that people are using. I haven't heard of brands using it super well yet, but that but I was interested if you'd heard of any like innovative like I love that you brought up the idea that hey, we're doing this all right now. That's the best part about D2C in, in, in mm-hmm. my in, in my experience, is it's like we're always on the cutting edge. You do something, we're doing something with the newsletter, it could become the our, the next course that we run on how to build yeah. a newsletter or whatever, right? Um So yeah, so I'm interested, I just lost my question there, but have you seen any novel or really interested outside of the box ways that people are building community?
1: Yeah, I I have a couple examples because I I think there are just so many ways you can do it. Um, I already used Bloom as an example, but I want to go deeper into that. They do two things that I find absolutely fantastic. One, they started a close friends list on their Instagram page. So you have to opt in to say i actually want to get the content that's only for bloom's close friends that is a community driver right there because then all of a sudden you know you're now deeper in with that brand that you're getting exclusive content. Maybe it's not a community in the natural sense of here's a space where we all talk back and forth with each other, but it identifies customers as I want to be close friends with Bloom and close friends with the other people that are in Bloom's close friend circle. I love that they do that. The other thing they do is they do a really good job on SMS with this. They uh, have a fantastic SMS program where you get texts about replenishment. You get just funny texts sometimes. But one of my favorite things that they do is every once in a while, they randomly send out a picture of a barcode for Starbucks free drinks. And it's just a set amount that they put in there. I have no idea what that set amount is, but they say, hey, Bloom friends, your Starbucks is on us today. Uh, You can go to the drive-thru. They scan the barcode and you get a free Starbucks until that money runs out. And, you know, it's just such a simple thing where maybe it costs them $500 a week, but they get so many pictures of their customers, like posting on Instagram, a story that's like, thanks for the drink today, Bloom. That is such a huge community driver that every time I see the text, I'm like, this is genius right here. (laughs) That's
0: incredible. And SMS is something we're talking about all the time. It's one of those asymmetrical technologies you know mm-hmm. where it's it's opening at a 92x you know percent of, of an email it it uh and so it's really cool to hear that and the other thing that we hear again and again we love to echo is using SMS to treat your best customers really as VIPs and this yes. takes that to a whole other level where you know replenishments and order updates and sales and things like that are all great but when you can push the value meter all the way to the other side where you're you know you're you're buying someone a a 250 coffee which is not a lot but in their mind it's made their day and just made such a strong yeah. positive brand association for you.
1: Yeah. I mentioned the
0: social proof of having them put it all over social media.
1: Exactly. I mean, you think about like some of your closest relationships or somebody that you love. There's always some, some moment you think back to like, remember when your friend randomly showed up at your door with a bottle of wine, because you texted her saying, I'm having the worst day ever. And she just shows up and she's there for you. That's what they're doing is they're replicating that. We're almost going to, beat your bad day and we're going to get in front of you and we are that best friend. We're that best friend that's going to give you a cup of coffee randomly because you know what? We love you and you're on our list and we just want to say hey. That is such a a human element of community that I I just I love that they do it. Um some other cool ideas that I've seen um oh my god, now I'm now I'm totally blanking on this company's name. Oh, um Battle Box. They are a subscription company that is a curated monthly box of like outdoor gear, camping gear, survivalist gear, knives, weapons, all these things that on its surface, you look at it and you go, who the hell needs a box of survival gear every single month? Their churn has to be bad, right? Their churn must be at a high percentage because you don't need that for more than a couple of months. But their churn is one of the all-time lowest percentages I've ever seen. And it's because of their community work. So a couple of things they do. They have a YouTube channel that is incredible, that tells you about all the things that you've gotten, how to use it, what to do with it. They have you know Facebook groups that are run by people in the community. And then they have like a buy, sell, trade Facebook group. So they know that one of the issues with churn is that you get too much stuff. Or that you get stuff that you don't need. And eventually you're looking at a garage and your wife is like, what the hell is all this zombie apocalypse stuff? You must cancel this. <laughs> Instead of having to cancel, now you can say, hey guys, I actually, you know, I live in New York City and I have all this camping gear. I don't actually need camping. There might be someone in Colorado who really likes to go camping and wants all that extra gear and has some other stuff in battle box that they don't want. They've allowed a place for their customers to buy and sell and trade all these items so that they're building a connection of how do I use this? How do I get connected with the brand? How do I get connected with other consumers? And how do I not churn because I'm still getting presence in between boxes? Um, that I that one I love. Um, I talked to uh, John Roman who kind of ran that community for a while once and just hearing about how active their customers are in those communities is amazing because they've created that space for them. Um, And then I'd be remiss not to mention retail as a community driver and a very creative one. I think the best example, especially in D2C is actually Beardbrand. They recently opened a barbershop like right next to their office. So they kind of have this like Beardbrand campus now. And if you've seen any of Beardbrand's content, a lot of it is like, They're going and getting haircuts and they videotape the haircuts and they videotape beards being shaved and they explain what a fade is and how to do these lines. And they used to be beholden to going to other barbershops and having to get all the waivers signed and all of this stuff. Now they have their own retail space. They have their own barbers so they can record anything that a customer agrees to be recorded in there. They have a constant stream of amazing content. They're able to sell their products right in there And it's this huge community space where, you know, you might be getting your haircut by the barber that, you know, on Instagram from uh, Beard Brands Instagram. And then Eric Banholz, the CEO, might walk in and you might get this like total crazy experience. Uh, Retail is that's why I'm so excited about D2C and retail is because it provides this really unique community building. Um, Other than those you know, even doing subscriptions as a way to do community, Tracksmith is a really good example of this. They have a subscription where you get exclusive products. And it's as simple as you're walking down the street and you see somebody else wearing that shirt that you know only these subscription members got. It's like, ah, ah, like we are, we are one and the same. And it's creating that idea of community. I think my takeaway on all of this is a lot of times we think of community in this kind of like four walls where everybody has to be talking back and forth with each other. It's a Q&A, it's a forum, it's a Facebook group, but there are a lot of other ways to build community without direct touch points, even just getting people closer, getting people to understand the value of your brand or spotting somebody else wearing it and just saying like, oh, I, I see you and I get you. Even if a conversation doesn't happen, there's so much about community that happens internally within a single person that you can get really creative with how you build it and not with it it doesn't have
0: to be in an enclosed i love that idea of the four walls it's got to be on the facebook group it's got to be here it's got to be in a mighty network or whatever but it doesn't it can be a conversation that happens across all your social posts it can be mm-hmm. you know it can happen a- across different channels and and if you're doing it right you'll make people feel part of a community you know wherever they are whenever, whenever they, they see these messages i imagine
1: yeah Exactly.
0: If you're a D2C advertiser, Fresh Creative is your lifeblood. That's why it's critical to have a design team that understands your brand and delivers you new advertising content week in, week out at a fair price. We met up with Benson over at D2C Design, that's D2C, not D2C, and came up with this special offer for you to test out his awesome service. They've generously offered to design one free set of creative ads personalized to your brand. To claim your free set of creatives, just book a brand design meeting with the D2C team by visiting dtcnews.link d2cdesign. That's dtcnews.link slash d2cdesign. Oh, that's going to be a tough one, but you will be rewarded with a free set of creatives, so don't miss out. So cool. Okay, um, so you mentioned retail. Okay, KG, go away. Well, yeah, well,
2: I think, I think we're probably going in the same direction here because, um, you know, a lot of folks kind of, Think of you know like retail and DTC almost like in silos a little bit. Um, what uh, what what steps can DTC brands take to sort of integrate those experiences more so? Like how do you how do you marry retail with DTC so it's this like you know cohesive experience?
1: Yeah, it, it's a really good question because it's also a trend that's been pushed forward by COVID. Is commerce used to be very separated in these silos of e-commerce versus retail, and retailers didn't want to do e-commerce because it brought up too many complications. And D2C, when D2C first started becoming a big thing, it was almost anti-retail. Was we're doing the opposite and we're not going into retail. Now you're seeing this shift and you're seeing lots of D2C going into retail. It's because with the pandemic, retailers couldn't not be online. They had to be online. So you're finding that all commerce is coming together, this omni-channel experience of you need to be wherever your customers are not everywhere in the world but you need to be you know maybe selling in retailers as a you know like a third party you're in nordstrom maybe you need to own your own store maybe you need to be on a marketplace and facebook and your site um but trying to build that kind of I always call it like holistic commerce between all of these things, it, it becomes very tricky. But the biggest thing is really thinking about those customer journeys. And it can get very specific. If you have a retail presence, you know that you know, uh, Mac Weldon is a really good example of this. They have a store in Hudson Yards. I think their omni-channel execution is brilliant. They're not gonna market that. They're not gonna send an email to their entire list saying, hey, by the way, we have a Hudson Yards store. Have you come in? gonna segment that out by geography because someone in Santa Fe is not coming to New York to go to a to go to a Mac Weldon store like that's just not that exciting but they know that there's this like local marketing they can do around it and then it's just thinking about okay, did somebody come in the store and that was their first purchase? Let's make sure to get their email address at the point of sale or get their, their phone number at point of sale. Um, Mack Weldon also has a loyalty program that works both online and offline. So they're gathering all of that. And then when they walk out of the store, they understand, you know, uh, Brian Berger is the CEO of Mack Weldon. He was telling me this. Uh, I asked him like, what is the difference between how people shop online and offline? And one of the things he said was, online people come for our basics. They come for the underwear, they came for the undershirts. Then they walk in the retail store and a lot of things we hear is, oh, we didn't know that you also sold joggers or sweatshirts or this. And so they changed the way their retail looks and they started saying, yeah, here are our basics. We're going to put them on the table, but we're also going to showcase all these other products we have because we know that that's how they shop. So you know, you just walk through this exercise of somebody comes into the Mack Weldon store. Let's hypothesize that they've never seen us online they've never bought from us before and they're interested in these joggers because they try them on they get to feel the fabric they can see the quality and they're going to buy that high ticket item now we've got their email now they're in our loyalty program now we know that they like our stuff and they trust our brand so when we send them emails we're actually going to push them to the online store and we're going to market to them the underwear and the undershirts because that's what they're going to do And then when something comes in person, we have a digital event, I can go segment, okay, who stopped in the store before? Let's make sure to email them. But let's also make sure not to market to them what they've already bought in the store. It it becomes, I mean, it's it's hard to do at scale. And I, I totally understand, there's probably people listening, like how in the heck do you think about every possible customer journey and go through it? But it's really just about creating systems that work with each other. So whatever experience you have in store, you're not just replicating it online vice versa whatever's happening online you don't replicate it in store you're building them to be complementary on each other and using digital channels to drive it so that's email that's sms um that's, I mean, new fulfillment methods come into this, buy online, pickup in store, curbside pickup, um, being able to return things in store, just being able to communicate all those things and build bridges between the two. So you can encourage more behavior on both. Uh, that was the most long winded answer to that question, that but I hope that it helped.
0: <laughs> you are on point, Kristen, I have to say. Uh, very cool. I, 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 and so the, it, I think that is a really great example of, of how retail and, and D2C are converging. I, it, it makes me think of one of our first podcasts we were talking about when D2C c first happened in like, you know, 2011, 12, 10, you know, that era, there was this idea that you're going to save money. You're going to cut out the retailers. You're going to cut out the middleman <laughs> and you're going to save money. That has long since devolved to the point where, you know, to this holistic ecosystem that you're talking about. The one thing I wanted to drill in a bit on is like, what are, what are the technical ways on Shopify right now that an advertiser could Bring in some of the better aspects of of the retail experience. I know, you know, when it comes to the ad side, which is what we focus on at Pilot House, so much of it is about you know showing ads that show people how to actually experience a product. Um, you know, wh- whether that's UGC, that's unboxings, that's just like you know first person perspective on 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 a product experience, exactly how to use it. What are other ways on the Shopify side that vendors can sort of like give that one-to-one experience in in Mm e-commerce?
1: One of my my favorite examples of this is kind of virtual styling and virtual consulting. That's become super popular in the pandemic. There are so many tools that allow you to do this. Uh, Hero is the one that I recommend the most. Basically what this does is it allows, you know, there, there are multiple ways to go about this. Hero has multiple ways that you can do it. One of them is you can have on your e-commerce site, a little chat box at the bottom that when store associates are in the store and the store is empty, or they don't have a lot of people in, they can go live online. So people who are on going on the site can click it and they can do a video call with someone in the store where it's like you know, I'm looking for this, you know, I want lipstick for Valentine's Day, but like, it's so hard to pick a color over like a website. We know this. It's way easier to go into Ulta and put it on your hand and figure it out. Now you can actually video talk with somebody in the store who could do that on their hand and show you actually, these are what the colors look like. And this is what I think you should wear. I'm looking at like what you're wearing right now. And this is probably how you want to feel. And you can ask all these questions and have that that one-on-one concierge experience that you get in store that you don't get online. That's one way that it happens. Another thing we've seen a lot of D2C brands do is virtual styling. Um, NYX is probably one of my favorite examples of this. I talked to Joanna Griffiths in season one, who's the founder of NYX, and they have some retail stores in Canada, and it's very, you know, you're going in, you're getting sized uh any female listener out there is listening has probably had the experience of like going to Victoria's Secret and feeling really awkward because some lady comes and like puts a, a tape measure around your boobs and it's you're 13 and your mom's sitting out there and there's all these like sexy ladies around. And it just feels uncomfortable. And so... Nick's approached it with, this is an experience that we can totally change in retail. And, you know, you go into their store, you get that one-on-one, you get the styling with an expert who knows how to fit you, who makes it comfortable. They might pour you a, a thing of champagne or a coffee and really like build a relationship. In, you know, the COVID world, they couldn't do that. They couldn't have that. So they, were, they said, you know what, we could, we could probably try this virtually. And so they did a very similar thing. You book an appointment and you do it all over the computer or over your phone. And you're measuring yourself. They're telling you how to do it. You're still getting that one-on-one conversation. Uh, the best thing I loved about that conversation was, you know, Nick's launched this thinking it was kind of a band-aid until they could open their retail stores. Now they're saying this is a permanent piece of our business because their customers loved it. Their customers are saying, this is so comfortable. I'm in my own home. I don't have to worry about somebody touching me. I love the connection with somebody. I know when I buy something, I've had the kind of onboarding experience into the product with a store associate. Um, Those are, I think, the two really big things that I'm seeing as far as bridging that kind of concierge store associate one-on-one experience into e-commerce And that's one of the biggest trends we've seen come out of COVID is a total reinvention of what a store associate is. It's no longer just, you know, an angry high school kid who is just there because his mom made him get a job. It's actually now a store associate has a lot of skills and they are not only salesmen, but they are specialists and they are e-commerce experts and their customer support and their brand reps. And it's a really exciting thing to see change in retail because now it, it gives those positions a much deeper connection with customers. But yeah, uh, virtual styling and video chatting are are definitely two of my favorite things that we've seen.
0: Huge. I saw I, I mentioned this on the podcast all the time, too. But I saw uh, Shopify put out something also recently about just AR experiences just just for product. Yeah, uh, just for product images as well. So maybe, you know, in a not quite that one to one level, but still giving you just more looks on a product and, a, and an actual video of, of what it might look like in your space or things like that, I think probably have some impact as well.
1: Oh yeah and something else that I I really learned in the retail space that I thought was so interesting was uh, when I was talking to Alex Waldman, who's the founder of Universal Standard, they have kind of this showroom retail experience where they don't even stock their retail. You go in, you get styled by one person, you can bring your friends, you can have a couple of people do it. Again, they might serve you drinks, they might have snacks, there's couches and magazines, it's this whole experience. And then you go buy online, you actually don't buy at the retail store. And something that she was telling me about was, One of the biggest benefits of that is they learn so much that then they can put online. So something as simple as like when customers put on this shirt, they tend to turn to the left first to see what it looks like. And then they turn to the right. And here is where, you know, they're pulling at the shoulders and they're pulling at the seams. These are the places where they're checking. This is how they decide if they like it. Now you can go and say, all right, on our product page, let's make sure there's a video of someone putting on the shirt and turning to the left first and pulling it here and here so the customer can see it. They can feel it. They can understand okay, if I was putting that on, that's what I would be doing too. And just those small things of understanding how somebody interacts with your product and like the questions that they have that are going unsaid that you get in retail then that goes online. That goes into AR, VR, just product photos, um, content. The you know the written content that you put on your product pages. All of that is so incredible that you get from those retail experiences
0: this is a masterclass here. So <laughs> now selfishly, we have, we have, we have one final section that we're just experimenting with called the, was it quick rapid fire? We're going to do a quick, oh. some rapid fire questions, but before that we just love, you know, we're a B two B content play where we're really trying to connect with other retailers, other brands, and you're doing a similar thing. We are involved in this like sort of uh, inception, you know, thing where we're, <laughs> we're, we're, we're talking about how customers can create communities and we're creating cute communities with, with B two B brands. Uh, I was just wondering like, like what is your content process? Like, like in, in terms of like, cause you're putting out a fair amount of content on the Shopify side. Oh, what, do, yeah. what does your content process look like?
1: Um, man, it's a long process. I will say that, uh, especially like right now I'm in the midst of putting together a second season of resilient retail and it's the hardest part of having a podcast is putting together what does the season look like? Who are the guests? What are the topics? How do we run each episode? What is the format of each episode? Um, The way I do it is kind of this five-step process. I actually just recently outlined this on Twitter. The first is I start with customers. Um, I always start with the customers. With Shopify especially, we have so many merchants who are in retail, who are using Shopify point of sale, who are doing cool things. And there's already this trust built in there. So when I reach out from Shopify and I say, hey, I wanna feature your story, they kinda know where I'm coming from. They know they don't know me, but they know Shopify. So that's always where I start. I start with the customers and I figure out, okay, what are their stories? Because also their stories are the ones that we wanna be telling to bring in more of them. It's a good place to start. Uh, next, I go to my communities. Um, I'm asking them, Who do you want to hear? What helps you? What kind of topics do you want us to talk about? You know, I posted this on Twitter, on LinkedIn. Um, I sent out application forms to a lot of our email lists, just trying to get people to inbound come to me and say, this is what we want. Here's who we want to hear from. That's a pretty, pretty easy cheat to get some good answers. Uh, And even if you have a really small community, even if it's somebody outside of your community, actually, one, one of the most beneficial conversations I ever had was actually with my mom, Who is, I'm pretty sure my parents think that I like actually fix shopping carts for a living, like they don't understand Shopify. So she's not an expert in retail. She's not an expert in omnichannel commerce. But I asked her, imagine you were to own a store. What kind of things would you want to hear? Like, if you like, what kind of things would you want to talk about? And just coming from this total, outside perspective was so interesting and i learned so many things that i hadn't thought about because i'm so close to the problem um so i've gone what customers community ask your mom uh or someone just totally not in your industry what they think um and then going to other podcasts and going to other content sites uh going and seeing okay there's people that are following this podcast as well who are they interviewing can I snag one of those guests? Can I say, hey, I heard you on this, this episode and I want to talk about this with you? The key to that one is making sure you don't just keep repeating the same interviews with them again and again, give them a very unique entryway and also not getting locked into your industry. So when I was re- researching for resilient, re- oh my goodness, resilient retail season two. I didn't just go look at retail podcasts because that's not all that my my listeners want to know. They also want to know about industry trends and business and customer psychology and all these things. So I looked at e-commerce podcasts and psychology podcasts and art and culture podcasts and business podcasts, finding very unique guests to come on. Uh, Those are kind of the steps I've gone through. And then as far as really like content topic choice and creation, a lot of it starts with I called a lot of merchants and I talked to them and I asked them what problems they were having and I asked them how I could help and I asked them who they wanted to hear from. Um, I also sent out a survey where one of the questions was just what topic do you want to hear about? And then the question, what is the number one thing you're dealing with in your, in your life right now? Some of those answers are, I don't know how to balance my family in my retail store right now. And I might, oh God, sorry, Uh, I might not be able to, you know, do an interview on that, but I might be able to find something out of that on Life Balance and bring in a really interesting guest that they wouldn't have expected. Uh, So again, another just such a long-winded response to your question. (laughs) Well, all of this is going to get
0: written up in our newsletter as well. So we just need, we need it in value. You've already, you're just putting it out there in value bomb format already. So it's, you know what you're doing? There
1: we go. It's
0: it's awesome. Um, but, uh,
2: but now it's time for the rapid fire sessions have to be quickies now. Um, all right. Are you ready for rapid fire?
1: I'm ready. I'm ready.
2: Okay. What's a podcast you recommend most often? That's not your own.
1: Oh, armchair expert all day.
2: Awesome. Uh, what's your favorite category of DTC brand? Drink, food, beauty, products, et cetera.
1: Beauty products.
2: Okay. Um, what is the one e-commerce slash marketing book you wish you've, you read uh, years ago?
1: Ooh, not necessarily a straight e-commerce marketing book, but Atomic Habits. Taught me a lot about talking to human beings and getting them to do what I want them to do.
2: James Clear. Nice one. Um what do you think the most underrated newsletter is?
1: Ooh, uh Emily Singer's Chips and Dip. Ooh. Chips oh. and Dips.
2: Okay, very good. Um what is the most underrated Shopify feature?
1: Oh, I don't even know if it's underrated, but the shop app is absolutely fantastic. Being able to use Shop Pay, your customers can track all their products, they can Go connect with brands on the shop app, uh, shop pay slash ver- shop app is going to be my answer to that one.
2: Awesome. Uh, who's the person you recommend following the most on Twitter?
1: Mm, Val Geisler.
2: Val Geisler. Uh, build in public, yes or no?
1: Yes. Hell yes. But with yeah. the caveat of honestly build in public, don't just share when your numbers get great.
2: Love it. Love it. Um, last one here. Uh, which DTC brand owner comes to mind as someone we have to have on this podcast.
1: Damian Soong of form nutrition.
2: That's awesome. Okay. And, um, before we, uh, okay. And then this is, this doesn't have to be rapid fire, but, uh, <laughs> one of our finishing questions we like to ask is, uh, if the government were to grant you $50,000 right now to, uh, to grow your business, uh, what would you do with that money?
1: I would create focus groups with my target market and I would run them in multiple cities and I would sit in a room with people and ask them a thousand and one questions.
0: That's a great love answer. Love it. Great wow. answer. Kristen, I want to thank you so much for coming on the D2C podcast today. I can't wait to get this out into the newsletter. Uh, I think there's an absolute treasure trove of information for D2C founders here. And uh, thanks again.
1: Yes, this was so much fun. Thanks, guys.
0: Yeah. Now you can go eat.
1: Yay, <laughs> now I can eat. We
0: can end our intermittent fast <laughs> or our lazy lunch habits.
1: Our lazy lunch habits, I think is the best way to put it.
2: Nice. Okay. Where, where well, can uh, where can people learn more about you? Where would you like them to go?
1: Yeah, uh, you can follow me on Twitter. That's where I'm most active, at KD LaFrance. Uh, my podcast, Resilient Retail, is anywhere you can find podcasts and on YouTube. And I'm on Instagram at Kristen.LaFrance
0: amazing on twitter where you are known as the mayor of ddc which is quite yeah. a distinguished title i should work that into the intro
1: yeah weird still not sure how that happened but hey i'll take it
0: nice love it <laughs> okay thanks uh i look forward to a time in the future when we can meet up at an event oh uh, right that, that would be a lot of fun as well where are you in the world by the way
1: uh colorado springs colorado
0: colorado springs colorado I Beautiful.
1: cannot complain
0: okay thanks so much
1: thanks guys thanks chris